It's the Super 90s Brothers! Don't give me that. You've been smooching with everybody. Snuffy, Al, Leo, Little Mo with the gimpy leg, Cheeks, Bony Bob, Cliff. I could go on forever, baby. Welcome to the Super 90s Brothers. Where we do hazy memory riffs of the most bomb decade ever. I'm your host, Brennan Pointer. Along with me is my co-host, Adam J. Pitzler. And today we're talking about Home Alone 2. Ow! I really love your intro. That is like one of my favorite lines in the movie. Especially when he says, Little Mo with the gimpy leg. Uh, for whatever reason, I was watching this last night and I just thought that was hilarious. So, I mean, little little people with gimpy legs need... Kisses too. <laughs> um, especially like the part when he does it in the when Kevin. Anyway, we'll get into it. I, I we're doing Home Alone too. It's like one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies ever. Um, and uh, but yeah, but ha- but before we get into it, how are you been doing? Good. I went to uh, went and saw my first Kraken game last night. Seattle Kraken were at San Jose Sharks. Oh, nice. So, so me and some friends went down to San Jose and watched the game, and the Kraken won. Which was cool. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, what is that your first NHL game? Well, you've been to a couple NHL games, right? No, I've been to five or Sharks games before this, but mm. this is my first Kraken game as it's their first season. So uh, yeah, that was that was super fun. And then today my hot water heater's out, so I'm getting that replaced. So I'm like, I like don't really want to shower because it's like ice cold, you know? Yeah. Why would you shower if you can't use hot water? Well, I was thinking about maybe like washing my face and my hair just in the sink or something later, but I like don't want to get my whole body into it, you know? Yeah, I understand that. I don't want to. That, that's no fun taking a. I've taken cold showers before. Like, I've gone to like uh, festivals where you can like, you can go to, you can choose to get a cold shower option or you can choose to get a warm shower option. I went with a cold shower because I was young and stupid. And I like, if I wanted to. If I wanted to get all the sweat off my body from the festival, I had to take a really cold shower. It was awful. You know, cold showers are kind of a 90s thing. Like back when you had like a like a two-story house with like five people in it. Like if you weren't like the first or second shower, you were probably taking a cold shower. That's true. Yeah. Uh, that I remember that like growing up. And, um, and it happens sometimes in our house if we like take showers back to back to back here and maybe run like the, the dishwasher at the same time. So sure. Yeah. So yeah, that's all the exciting stuff in my <laughs> life. What about you? Uh, I got some awesome news. I am, I, I spoke cast my company. Uh, I have a, I'm moving into a more permanent space where I can have all my, have a studio where I can have, you know, my mic set up and I don't got to move my gear around all the time. I, I'm very, very excited to like, to not be moving around all the time. Ow. And yeah, I've signed on a couple of new podcasts this last two weeks and things are just, things are just really looking up for 2022. Things are rip roaring for Brennan's life. Exactly. So and if things are rip roaring in your life. You can reach out to us and tell us all about it. 
Um, you can reach out to us by emailing the show at super90sbrothers at gmail.com, all spelled out, at super90sbrothers. Brennan is at SpoCastPod, so with a K. And uh, I'm at adampitzler.com. Check us out, share our shit, and uh, keep listening. And thanks for listening today. Thank you all. Thank you. And it, this is probably going to be our last um, podcast before Christmas. So for all of you out there, uh, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy Holidays. Yeah, and give us those five-star reviews as our Christmas present. But your Christmas present is about to happen because today, as Brennan said, we're talking about Home Alone 2. Ow! One of the best sequels ever for uh, related to kids' Christmas movies. <laughs> wait, wait, what's the list? I guess there is, I mean, I guess there's Santa Claus too, which we talked about last week. Uh... Yeah, I mean, it's a short list. <laughs> three or four on there, but Home Alone 2 is probably my favorite. So, so... Before we start in the movie, what we what we like to do these days, we like to kind of set the mood a little bit. And so remember, it's so this movie came out November 20th, 1992. So I want you all to do a little experiment with me. I want you all to like travel back in time for just a moment. Close your eyes. Picture yourself. It's November 1992. You're in your parents old car on the way to the movie theater and the radio starts playing. It's the tunes of the time. Oh, yeah. Tunes of the time. Yeah. Oh, that was Rump Shaker by Rex in effect. Ow. We didn't get to the chorus. You told me to do seven seconds to 37 seconds. That's what I, that's what you got. Yeah, well, you know, you're the musician. You need to like, you know, go in and save me. Well, I thought you were trying to like actually like micromanage me and I was like, okay, well, I'll just do this. I'll just do this, these seconds and uh, I'll put it in after this. You always say that, then you don't. And then we have audio where you're talking about fixing the, the drops that doesn't happen. There, that's in like six of our shows. Perfect. So you either can expect it or you might not expect it. Who knows what's going to happen? All right. Well, the chorus is all I want to do is I'm a zoom, zoom, zoom in the boom, boom. Just shake your rump. What does that mean? What is a zoom, zoom, zoom in the boom, boom? I'm guessing that means his penis and... Like, it's like on a dance floor, he probably has a boner dancing with a girl, and all he wants to do is a zoom, 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 and a boom, boom, just shake your rump, and he's, like, rubbing his penis into a girl. That's probably what's going on. That was very explicit for <laughs> a, a children's Christmas movie, pre-funk, um, whatever we're doing here, whatever you're calling these 90s songs that we do before the movie, that was very explicit. I'm just going to say, I don't think this song was on the, on like 90, like the, the top 40 radio station in Spokane. Like, I don't think you're driving to the movie theater and listening to Rex and effect. I think this was like, I don't think this, this video could even come on on MTV until after like 10 o'clock. 
Well, I don't know about the video, but I know this song was on my sister's like rap station that she listened to all the time with like early Snoop and stuff. Like, oh. like this song was on that for sure. I'm positive. You, you, the song well, all the time. Well, you lived in Seattle or in like Olymp- Seattle area, Olympia, right? And so, well, at this time in my life, it was Seattle area. Yeah, yeah and you guys had probably had a hip hop station at the time. We in Spokane, we did not have a hip hop station yet in 1992. So 96% Caucasians. Exactly. <laughs> there was no demand for a hip hop station yet. But I remember this song and I, I, I really, I mean, as everyone knows, I love hip hop and I enjoy this song. So the song was big for a minute. Like this was one of those songs you, everybody knew and you could talk, you like, you could, you could just walk in and be like, all I want to do is I'm a zoom, zoom, zoom in the boom, boom. And Brennan would do what he did, which is just shake your rump. Like it was, you know, it was, uh, uh, shave and a haircut two bits material like everyone knew what you were doing yes <laughs> um i i don't remember this music video at all except for and i but i watched the like the 30 seconds of it that i t- stole a clip from and there i do remember the the, the girls in it like playing a saxophone like because you know like the and like of, of course the girls weren't playing the saxophone but you know the girl in the video doesn't look like she really knows how to play the saxophone. I think, and I'm not sure about this, but I think she may have just been cast because of how she looks. She was a she was a video girl, as they call them back in the day. And she killed the radio star. Um, but the video the video is kind of lame. I mean, it's just a bunch of people dancing on the beach and in boats and bikinis. It's pretty basic. It's just like people in swimwear dancing. Mm. But this song was catchy. It had that good beat. People liked it. It did. Only, it. Yeah. Yeah. Only 12 million views on the official YouTube video as of yesterday when I put this together. So I thought that was a little low. But there was also some other more explicit version of this video. Really? I didn't. I, I'm, I need to go back and watch that. Yeah, I didn't do that. That wasn't the official video. And I had already watched it once and I was trying to finish the note. So I didn't watch it either. But it was actually the number five song in the United States at the time. Home Alone 2 came out, so that's pretty cool. So, I mean, rump shaking was big at the time, and we all shook our rumps right into the movie theaters to see Kevin Arnold, Kevin Arnold, <laughs> Kevin <laughs> McAllister in Home Alone 2. So, Brennan, big sequel, 1992, that puts us at about eight and a half years old. How old were you when you first saw it? And uh, did you see it in the theaters? And, and tell me about that. My God, I saw this movie in the theater. It was... It was a humongous, I mean, I was talking to my wife about this last night. Like, it was a humongous deal when Home Alone 2 was coming out because it it was a sequel to, I mean, obviously Home Alone, but it was, I think Home Alone was like kind of unexpected hit. And then this movie just like was just, it became the biggest movie of the year, I, I would say. Like every kid knew about it. Every kid wanted to go see it. And I definitely went and saw this in the theater. There was so much fanfare around going to see it. And yeah, I saw it with my next door neighbor, uh, Joe Stipple, who I've talked about a couple of times in this podcast. Joe! <laughs> and uh, I need to get him to listen to this show since I mentioned him so much. But yeah, I went and saw this in the theater and opening weekend and loved every minute of it. And it, I mean, it's really, I think this movie is far and away much better than Home Alone. I think it's actually, oh. I think it's much more believable in a movie sense of like how a kid could actually get like lost from his parents, like in the scenario, like, so I, I, I do, th- there's that too, but like it, but it was heightened. There was a lot, there was a lot more happening, you know, this, 
the shenanigans were it was elevated to a to just a much higher level. What about you, Adam? I think you're completely dead wrong. I think that this one like reeks of like unbelievability, and it was totally just like a bigger, meaner cash grab to you know exempt money out of to exact money out of the first hit movie. So I I, I totally disagree with you, but that's okay. And while you're talking so much about the movie, it's time for my favorite part of the show. Brennan's bad synopsis! Oh, yeah. I've actually been thinking about this one. <laughs> Home Alone 2, uh, Lost in New York. Kevin McAllister and his family are on their way. They're, gonna, they're taking a trip to Florida. Because, um, you know, that's what rich families do. They go to tropical places for Christmas. They're taking their entire family again. and But this time, they're not going to forget Kevin. Okay? That's the That's the... The every leading up to leaving, like they get Kevin, they they have Kevin, they know he's going to be in with them on the airplane as they're, as they're getting, there's a weird thing that happens. And I, I was talking to my wife about this last night too. The big reason why they're late again on the plane is because Kevin's dad unplugs the clock from the wall to like take a video camera out to, to get the battery off and then puts it back in, but it resets the clock. And I said, if you set a clock, you're always checking that before you go to bed every night. Like you're going to make sure that that clock is set to make sure that you wake up for your plane in the morning. Also, they're in a house full of 14 kids. Like who's not waking up early? Anyways, yeah, where's the, where's the little kid getting up at like 5 a.m. and going and jumping on everybody's heads? Exactly. Anyways, they're getting they're rushed again to get on, the, get to the airport. They they have Kevin this time. They get into the airport. Kevin needs to get batteries for his uh, talk boy, which he uses a lot in the movie. He uses it to record his, his creepy uncle in the shower. He uses it to record commercials on TV so he knows to go stay at the, the Plaza Hotel when he gets to New York. He just needs it. He needs it to record stuff and, I guess, maybe listen to music on it, too. And But he asks his dad, like, hey, I need some batteries. And they're, like, rushing to get on the airplane, but Kevin needs fucking batteries right now. For his um, talk boy. For his talk boy. And anyways, they're running through the airport, but he gets his dad's bag and he's like trying to get batteries and he's running through the airport, putting batteries in his talk boy. And then there's another guy who like kind of gets into his way, who looks exactly like his dad. And they, his, that guy goes the opposite way to New York and his family's going to Florida. And so they get, you know, Kevin follows the wrong, the wrong dad. He gets on the plane to New York. When he gets to New York, he, uh, he, he has his dad's bag, which has all the money, the credit cards, everything in it. And so he can, the world's his oyster. And like, he had just told his mom the previous night, like, I want to go on a vacation without my family. Who goes to Florida? Who goes to a hot place for Christmas anyways? Anyways. Um, and so he gets to New York and he does what every kid would do. He gets in a taxi and he goes and sees the sights. He goes to the, stands on the top of the World Trade Center and all that, all that stuff. And then he checks into the Plaza Hotel. Um, by using his talk dang dong <laughs> and he does it by like the talk boy does all these things like you can slow it down to make it sound like he's an adult I guess and he checks into the plaza hotel that begins that and then but at the same time the the, the wet bandits Harry and is it Harry and Mo that who it is Harry and Marv Marv they are uh uh they have escaped from prison you see it in a little clip in earlier in the movie where like like a newspaper says the wet bandits escape in prison, right? <laughs> and so, 
of course, what happens is that they end up in New York at the same time as Kevin. Uh, if you knock, if you like rob three or four houses and leave the water running, do you get an official moniker like the Wet Bandits and become front page news? <laughs> probably like, not. Hey, probably don't not. you remember these guys? They robbed three houses in Chicago two years ago. Like, who gives a fuck? <laughs> Maybe it was like a local, like a local paper. I don't know. Um, like in wherever Kevin lived in uh, Chicago. Maybe, probably not. It doesn't make any sense. Anyways, there's a lot that happens when Kevin's in New York. He befriends an old man at a he he befriends an old man at a toy store. He befriends an old woman that loves like a bird lady in Central Park who lives above the Carnegie Hall. And he also like gets into shenanigans at the hotel, the Plaza Hotel, which has a cast of characters: uh, Tim Curry for one, Rob Schneider. They're trying to like get this kid because they believe that he's like stolen this credit card and he's like uh they're trying to like there's these other bad guys at play like them like trying to like get kevin but then at some point during this during the time of new york he runs into harry and marv inexplicably and um which is really random and then they want to rob the toy store that the old man owns and but the but they wanted because there's this box there of cash that has all this cash in there. They're gonna hide in this toy store, steal all the cash, and but Kevin finds out about this. I don't remember they how. Tell he, him. They, oh, they tell him. Okay, that's how they. They, they like bump into him for a few minutes and tell him all their plans, and then lose him again, so that he has enough time and energy to go set up fucking traps. But not on Kevin's watch. Yeah, not on Kevin's watch. He's not gonna let them ruin Christmas for all these homeless kids. Uh, these uh these orphan age uh, or <laughs> these orphans uh because that's where the money goes to so goes to this like uh this orphanage it goes to like New a York. children's hospital yeah I think. anyways it all builds up to the the house there's a house in new york that um kevin's uncle and aunt live at that's getting renovated he uses that house as the new the new tr house trap or whatever um everything in that is like bigger, badder, harder, whatever traps. There's, a, I don't know how that they survive that. They'd all probably, both of Harry and Marv would probably die from multiple things in that, <laughs> in that house. Um, and then they get arrested and Kevin is reconnected with his family because they find out that where the credit cards are being used at and they all go back to New York and now they're, and now they're all happy and, and you know, that's the end. That is the end. Thank you, Brennan. Yes. I, Thank you for that thorough explanation of the movie. It was, I mean, it was better than usual. Yeah. I, I, he, I've been, I've been debating internally. Should I be giving Brennan more shit for his synopses along the way? Like, should I be interjecting and making fun of you and teasing things that you say, which is good radio, but it gets you so off kilter <laughs> that I can't ever get you back on track. That's like it, fair. it makes, it makes it much worse. I get really flustered sometimes, Adam. I'm sorry. Um, no, that's all right. But that's the problem is that I want to jump in, interject, and make fun of you, but it's going to fluster you and make things even worse. And then we're never going to get through the fucking synopsis, and our audience <laughs> is going to know what's going on. So I feel like I'm frozen. I'm I'm frozen. Anyway, I just can't. I can't make a move against you. I just let you play it out, and that the the damn result is that they are coming out better and more succinct. And that's that's not a bad synopsis. So, well, be fair. I just watched this movie last night, so I I know it a little bit better than I usually do. But it is a pretty simple plot. Well, I have to start self sabotaging. Okay, what did you I miss? Did I miss any? Like, I missed some stuff. Obviously, there's a lot that happens in this movie. It's really this movie's jam packed, and it, the movie is two hours long, but it's. It's there's never like a down 
there's no downtime in this movie really. There's a couple of like montages that we probably don't need. Kevin in a pool. Um, Kevin but walking around New York and looking <laughs> at the sights. Well, that was like the beginning of the when he gets there. Like you had to do that for like because you're in New York. You uh, have to do it. You you have to. You're in New York. There's no there's no option to not do that. Yeah, um, it's 100 must. So the did, I'm not sure if you mentioned the budget. Did you? No, I didn't miss it. I didn't mention any of that. So the budget, another modest, modest, twenty eight million dollar budget, is actually not that modest. But when you look at how much money it made. Three hundred and fifty nine million. Three hundred fifty nine million, Brendan. It's like that's uh, if you round up and say it's a thirty million dollar budget, they've they've netted times twelve, like more than ten times the budget. It's times twelve the the net earnings. It's amazing. Yeah, and um, you know it stars Macaulay Culkin, who was the coolest, funnest, everyone's favorite kid actor at the time. He had this sort of universal likability to him, Macaulay Culkin did, mm. where it's like, I don't think anybody was like so entranced by his acting. Like it wasn't like Leonardo DiCaprio in What's Eating Gilbert Grape or something like that, but it was good. And he was just like a likable kid who was funny. Like Kevin, I, I mentioned this the other day about like people that draw the eye and Macaulay Culkin always kind of drew your eye. He was a funny, entertaining little kid and everybody liked him. At least that's how I remember it. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> He was, we, we talked about this the last time we did, when we did Home Alone the first time. Go back and listen to that if you, when you want to. Uh, there's, he has a screen presence that a lot of kids don't have. Like he can hold, he can hold the camera, which, you know, which is very difficult for children to do in movies. And he, yeah, he just does it really, really well. And, and there's a lot of breaking the third wall. Is it the third wall or the fourth wall? The fourth wall. The fourth wall in this in in the first one, but in this movie it goes over the top, like with breaking the fourth wall. Like Kevin is constantly looking at the camera, and they obviously yeah. did that because it worked so well in the first one. But they do it. I think it's a little bit over the top in this one. It's but kind of a John Hughes thing. Like John Hughes likes mm, breaking the fourth wall. That's true. That's a, so. That's, that's a good point. Macaulay Culkin was was on a really good run at the moment. He had done Uncle Buck and and My Girl, and I think he did The Good Son the next year after this. I have but a- in the 90s, he did Uncle Buck, My Girl, The Good Son, and Richie Rich, which were all really popular. Mm-hmm. And um, so Brennan said it, his, his fucking family oversleeps, and they get to the airport late again, which doesn't make any sense because there's, what, there's only one clock in the whole house? <laughs> right. um, and then Kevin gets separated from his parents at the airport. Like, his parents know what's up. Like, in the very beginning, they're talking about, like, we can't do this again. We can't lose Kevin again. They're very aware that last Christmas, they fucking left Kevin. So this time it's very much on their mind. So when Kevin stops in the middle of rushing to the airport to need batteries for his fucking talk boy, which is this little portable audio recorder thing that lets you fuck with people, you'd think his dad would be like clutching him by the wrist and be like, well, put it on the plane. Let's go. And like, like clutching him by the wrist. Like I'm not losing Kevin. You know what I mean? The dad should be like, Kevin's at my side. He's my responsibility. But no, the dad says, Oh, here, here's my bag that has all of the family's money. Like this giant, like, envelope of cash like what you give tony soprano and all his credit cards he gives this bag to kevin said oh yeah here's the batteries take it oh and by the way there's like you know twelve thousand dollars in cash in there which could be lost in an instant but you know i'll i'll entrust it to my 10 year old obviously that's what you do um so anyway he he gets to new york and like he gets off the airplane and he looks out the window and he's like this doesn't look like miami and like he goes and asks some lady at the airport, he's like, hey, what city is that? And she's like, that's New York. And she calls him sir for some reason. But it's like, 
Um, Pretty much every other kid in the world at that point would be like, oh, my God, I was supposed to go to Florida with my family. And they would tell that woman right then. And she'd be like, what? And she'd ask a question. She'd make a few calls and bam, they'd get him on a plane to Florida like like that day. Like, that's how this story plays out with, like, every other person ever. But not Kevin. He's Kevin's used to being alone. He's got this wad of cash. He hates he hates spending time with his family at Christmas for some reason anyway, because people like Buzz are always humiliating him and the the, the ugly older pete from pete and pete so you know he decides i'm gonna fuck around new york for a bit and so he does what any kid would do he like rents limousines and he goes to toy stores and he sees all the sites and he goes swimming and he fucks with the hotel concierge for fun so he gets to this hotel right and he fools tim curry and the staff using the talk boy like he records some message from his he records some message then he slows it down to play it so it sounds like this creepy like son of sam stalker it's like <laughs> howdy do my name is peter McAllister, the father like it's fucking creepy and if you're on the other end you'd hang up and you'd go like say a prayer and light a candle if you're catholic <laughs> um so anyway kevin starts acclimating to the big shot life he's living in this big fancy hotel he's got all this money he's ordering 900 worth of room service he's tipping the bellhop rob schneider the animal with fruit stripe gum by the way let's talk about the product placement for fruit stripe gum and coca-cola in this movie like it is heavy it is well it's done on purpose uh i was reading about that well i don't know about the fruit stripe that i don't know if that was done on purpose but the the pepsi was because or coke sorry because pepsi was featured in the first film and then they're like oh i see so this time they sold to coke (laughs) exactly and Cokes are everywhere. Everywhere. Not, not only are they everywhere, but they're being held with the label toward the camera. Like, it's it's a fucking Coke commercial at times. Yeah. A- along with being a, a commercial for this Talk Boy, which was, um, I think, I, I don't remember who manufactured it, but it was a Christmas toy that season that kids could get. You could get a Talk Boy and a Talk Girl, a pink one. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, we're going to sell shit while we make a very commercialized sequel. Um, But whatever. So eventually, you know, Kevin's wandering around New York. And since he's in New York, obviously he encounters hookers and hobos. I mean, he had plenty of money for the hookers. He just, you know, he didn't, he he didn't take part in the allure of their services at the age of 10. But, you know, he's back there in five years. He knows what happens. (laughs) So Kevin gets scared and, you know, he decides that he wants to go home. But then like, you know, again, he's got bad guys after them and he's he's he left anyway because he hates his family and he hates his family because he doesn't like buzz who's always been a dickhead to him i'm not apologizing to buzz i'd rather kiss a toilet seat it's a good little expression i'd rather kiss a toilet seat well you know what he didn't need to apologize what Buzz did to him in like so in the beginning of the movie, there's a Christmas pageant. They're all like it's all the the McAllister kids and they're singing in this in yeah in this pageant and it comes to Kevin's big like solo and he's st- sitting he's standing directly below his big brother Buzz and Buzz starts fucking with him. He like starts like drumming on his head, doing like bunny ears, and everyone everyone starts laughing. Everyone in the entire gymnasium or where the play not gymnasium the but church, the, I think. Whatever, is like laughing at him. Don't and, you think they were laughing like too hard? It was like it was Yeah, like it, a, was, it was a little house laughter. A little, like, that wasn't that funny. A little over the top. And then the next scene you see them all back at the house and like Buzz is like doing this really good like Eddie Haskell like I'm sorry for being doing that. I shouldn't have done that. 
And Kevin's like, no, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not accepting this apology and I'm not going to say sorry for what I did because he embarrassed me. And like, I do the same thing. Kevin did turn around and push buzz off of the altar, which created this little avalanche of all the kids falling in a, and like a, a wooden Christmas tree hitting the pianist lady. (laughs) I guess, I mean, there, but you know, He's a, yeah, he's like he's ten years old, you know. But when what you're you a parent, do? you make your kids apologize to each other. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. You make them apologize. You have to learn that life isn't about who's right or who's wrong. It's about saving face. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would have. He didn't deserve that. And and Kevin seems to be a little bit like as we learned in the first movie, he he holds a grudge for a yeah, long I like time. I like that about him. And um, and so when he ends up in New York, he's like, I deserve this. This is what I asked for. So. All right. So, um, but like I said, he's being chased yet again by the wet bandits who, even though they were arrested in Chicago, have broken out of a New York prison for some reason and uh, are suddenly walking through the streets of New York, bumping into Kevin, just like in like Sex in the City, where I was like bumping into your friend. Oh, hey. Oh, you're in the middle of New York City, too. What a small place. Uh So they they bump into Kevin. And, uh, you know, the, the plot starts playing out. But first, uh, I want to talk about the actors who play Marvin Harry, Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci. So Daniel Stern was was popular at the time because he was the Wonder Years narrator. I said Kevin Arnold earlier, Kevin Arnold from the Wonder Years. So Daniel Stern is super funny as the Wonder Years narrator. It's, it's an underrated performance, in my opinion. You don't see his face. You don't see his facial expressions. Yet he still like steals the show often. Mm. Narrator humor is so good. It's like it's it's immune to criticism. It's immune. Like you can say things without having to worry about what the other person says. Like there is something so funny about a good narrator. And I, I heard the other day that the Wonder Years format with having the narrator talk over his life was based on the popular Christmas movie, A Christmas Story, which did the exact same thing with their mm. fun narrator. And uh, anyway, I just wanted to point that out real quick as a little plug to narrators that I think they're great and underutilized in like storytelling. Mm. Um, Daniel Stern was also in Rookie of the Year, which Brennan and I, we did that podcast, didn't we? We did, yeah. Okay, and um, he was in the movie Chud, Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers, I think is what that stood for. Uh, Chud is not good, but it's a funny little horror movie. I think John Goodman's in that too. Huh. And uh uh, Daniel Stern was in the movie City Slickers with Billy Crystal, which was super popular and very funny and very good. He was also in the movie Celtic Pride and Very Bad Things, which are both kind of stinkers, but but a lot of people have seen them. And then you want to talk about how famous Joe Pesci was at the time? Yeah, I do, because this he's super famous at the time. I mean, Joe Pesci, Goodfellas, Goodfellas, <laughs> Goodfellas, Lethal Weapon, My Cousin Vinny, uh, obviously Raging Bull, Casino, but... In 1992, he was in My Cousin Vinny, Lethal, Lethal Weapon 3, The Public Eye, and Home Alone 2. And then, like, and before that, he was in yeah, Goodfellas, obviously. But, like, he this was, like, peak Joe Pesci. Like, You want to know how peak it was? How peak at, it was it? At, at some point around this time, I don't remember exactly the week, but Tom Hanks was going to host SNL in 1992, and he got bumped for Joe Pesci. Really? Yeah, at the time, if you guys can imagine this, Joe Pesci was hotter shit than Tom Hanks. Well, he just came off of winning the the Oscar for Goodfellas, so that I mean that was probably probably why. 
Like Tom Hanks, I, I, I'm just saying. Do you think it's a very '90s thing? That is a very that, that is a very a '90s thing. Joe Pesci was more famous than Tom Hanks. That is a very '90s thing. Yes, um, but yeah, he was yeah he was larger than life for being such a a short guy. So so Marvin Harry have broken out of prison somehow, and they take a ride to New York City in the back of a fish truck. And th- this part this always annoys me whenever bad guys hitch rides in planes or trucks or whatever. When the plane or truck arrives, somebody opens the back door and then they just walk away. Like whoever driving that fish truck opened the back fish truck door and then just left, just left it wide open so the bad guys could just escape. It's like, aren't you like you're there, you're to the fish market, aren't you going to start unloading the fish? Like, what are we doing? Are you letting it air out? It's a fucking fish truck. <laughs> I want more backstory of how they escaped because it just seems like very, why are they in New York? Why aren't they in Chicago? It was already two hours long. I don't want any fucking backstory. How they escaped. <laughs> I'm fine with it. And so anyway, they've been out of, they've been out of prison. So you break out of prison, everybody's looking for your ass. Like, it's a big deal. You don't get to escape from prison and then go back with like a simple apology. Like, you're fucked if you get caught again. So what do they do? They decide to wait like all of 48 hours and, you know, risk everything over some unknown amount of cash at Duncan's toy store. And it's like, why does the fucking toy store keep so much cash out in the open for anyone? Why do the wet bandits have to go knock off a toy store literally 48 hours after getting out of prison. Like, don't they want to like lay low and like keep a low profile, get some money, get out of Dodge. Like what are the fuck are they doing? Wasting time on toy stores and Kevin McAllister revenge. Well, I think that Kevin McAllister thing just ha- happens accidentally. And I think that that box has a ton of money in it. Doesn't it? Like it, it yeah, looks like it has like, a ton of it money in it, yeah, but it's high profile. It's Christmas Eve. It's a big toy store. I don't know. It just it doesn't seem safe at all. They don't know this toy store. They're literally hiding in like little elf houses during the day. Like they don't have like this well thought out plan to take the toy store. They're just they're just like bumbling through it. And it's like, dude, you guys are fucking fugitives. I I think it's well known that they're idiots. So I mean, so I don't think they're making the best choices, anyways. Um, yeah. So anyway, they they bump into Kevin on the streets of New York. Like Brennan said, they chase him. They abduct him. They tell him all their plans. They lose him. And then they fall into all of his traps on Christmas Eve yet again. And this time, like, they they follow him to his uncle's vacant house. And when I say vacant, I don't just mean empty. I mean, like, fucking in ruin. Like, they say, oh, yeah, my brother's doing remodeling. When somebody does remodeling, it's like a bathroom or it's like a kitchen. Like, this guy, like, tore his house up from head to toe. Like, this guy's like, I'll never need to live in this house again. Literally, the house, like, isn't there. There's nothing there. There's giant holes. There's dry rot. There's... Like, what the fuck was he doing? Was he rebuilding his goddamn house from scratch? Like, you don't you don't remodel a house like that. Yeah, that didn't make any sense of like, because like, they're like, oh, yeah, it isn't maybe you're maybe Kevin's smart enough to go to your, your brother's house. And he's like, yeah, but it, I think it's getting renovated. And I'm that that was confusing. Like, why was it in such disrepair? I don't know. Yeah. And oh, yeah. And so Kevin's dad's bag has four things in it that we know of. It has a giant bag of cash and credit cards. It has like an address book so Kevin can find things in New York conveniently. It has an inflatable clown, which Kevin conveniently uses for tricking Tim Curry. And it has batteries for his talk boy. It's just the kind of bag you'd pack to be your carry-on bag <laughs> at the airport. The the, the clown, didn't, I, actually, when I was watching it last night, 
I was like, why, where did the clown come from? I'm like, oh yeah, the clown came from the mom. The mom, it, I mean, the, it, it was a present from like an aunt and it's so Kevin could play with in the pool. But like, uh, yeah, but I was like, why does he have it though? Like, why was it like, I, they, wouldn't that have been in a, like, not a carry on, but in a, a check bag. I was like, yeah, I was very it feels, confused. It felt very forced. Like, why is that fucking clown on the carry on bag? Like I, I think it could have just as been an easily accomplished if he had bought the clown himself in New York. I, it mm. felt very, it, it was a plant. Yeah. You know? So anyway, so Kevin gets these two idiots to chase him through his uncle's vacant house and the traps are just fucking brutal. Like, <laughs> like Kevin is just beating the fuck out of these guys. Like a rated X episode of Tom and Jerry. Like he's just, he's murdering these dudes with like bricks. Like from three stories above, he pegs Marv with like three bricks in the head. Like, you're fucking dead, Marv. You're fucking dead. <laughs> uh, there uh, there was, like, a story on, like, when this movie came out, I think Entertainment Weekly, I just read this, that they did a, uh, like, they had a doctor, like, assess, like, what type of injuries would be sustained. And, like, most of the injuries that would have been sustained in this would have been from really terrible concussions to, like, death. Like, Right. <laughs> so, yeah, they are very, very harsh in this. It's a brutal fucking scene. Like, I, as, like, a 37-year-old, when I watched them, I was like, oh, like, I, I don't really enjoy it so much. It's, like, it's almost, like, too much at times. There's this one giant lead pipe, like, that, that looks like it weighs, like, 70 pounds. And Kevin, like, puts it on these strings, and he throws it at them when they're running up the stairs. And it hits them both square in the face. <laughs> after being propelled down a story and then knocks them through the hole in the story below them, like down another like story and a half down on their backs. And then it comes and falls on them. Like, again, you guys are fucking dead. The traps weren't as fun this time around, but they were, yeah, they were brutal. Like you said, um, brutal. He, he crushes one of them with like a, a giant toolbox at one point. And like, like, don't you think it would have been a really dark episode of home alone was like, Kevin kills these two like <laughs> criminals and goes to juvie. And like has to be about like psych evaluated. Like, oh, this kid's fucked up. You should have seen what he did to these two criminals. The, the, there is one scene where like uh, Marv gets his head cut on fire again. And what he, what he does is he decides to do like a handstand on a toilet and dip his head into it. That's Harry. Oh, is that Harry? Sorry, I get the two. Yeah, Harry me. does this really athletic <laughs> handstand to dip his fiery head into what he thinks is a toilet bowl full of water but alas it's a toilet bowl full of kerosene <laughs> and then like so he the... sort of explodes <laughs> like his face sort of explodes in this kerosene tank in the toilet again you're fucking dead dude <laughs> like your face just exploded or at least you're like melting away like you're laying in the bathroom screaming as your flesh is like roiling off your face like you're begging kevin to call the police and like turn you in because you're about to fucking die <laughs> that, that's kevin i mean kevin's smart i mean i don't know how he does this and like puts this up in like two hours because like he literally yeah. gets to the house at like nine o'clock at night on christmas eve and they're and he then lures them he lures them into to the house at like midnight so like he doesn't have much time to set all this up and he he does it in an amazing amount of time so it just goes to show you uh that don't you know a kid always wins against two idiots hey he's in the living room 
So I do I do like Harry's little like Yosemite Sam shit. Like his fricka fricka fire fricka fricka. I I know how much uh I know how much Macaulay Culkin made in this movie. I'm curious to know how much Joe Pesci made because this is a like I mean this is a pretty small part. I mean like he's not a lead character, but like he's coming off Academy Awards. Like he's 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 replacing Tom Hanks on SNL. Like. Let's let's get it. We've talked a lot about uh, Marvin Harry. Well, let's talk about another character in this movie that makes a big um, makes a big impact in it because it kind of ends the the chase with Kevin and the Marvin Harry. Brenda Fricker, the the pigeon lady who we've famously talked about in uh, Angels in the Outfield. Yeah, check out our Angels in the Outfield podcast. Brenda Fricker was also um, notably in the movie My Left Foot, for which you received a a bevy of awards from different mediums and she was the mom and so i married an axe murderer which was another popular 90s comedy um but yeah she was i mean i don't know she's a creepy old pigeon lady in the park like i i'm not i'm not drawn to this character either like so her ex-husband broke up with her so she became a pigeon lady in central park and she's the only sober and coherent pigeon lady in the world i might add <laughs> Because <laughs> she's sitting there like a totally normal person having these long, thoughtful conversations with Kevin. And she's like, I haven't spoken in, in four years. And he's like, oh, you're good at it. You don't spit when you talk. <laughs> Something like that. And it's like, he's right. You'd expect the pigeon lady to spit when she talks. There's a lot of homeless people, you know, in Spokane. And I'm sure there's a lot of homeless people where you live. And like when I was a kid, like I always thought homeless people were just like people who just chose to be homeless, you know, like because, you know, they're they're sad or they, you know, don't have much money. No, usually people are homeless because they're fucking crazy. They're, you don't like using the word crazy, but they're, you know, they, they have mental health issues. She's literally the most sane. And so, yeah, I always, I always assume this is what homeless people are like, but that's not the case. You assume they're very thoughtful pigeon ladies. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Thank you, Home Alone, for making, shedding good light on, uh, on homeless people. Not only that, but she has like amazing like digs living in the top of Carnegie Hall. Like she gets to listen to like world-class music all the time. No one knows that she's there apparently. Um, yeah. And she, How the fuck does she get up there? I don't know. Climbs? She lives in this attic above Carnegie Hall that has a perfect view of Carnegie Hall. And up there is nothing but like old music, musical equipment. And it's like it's like where she lives. And it's Christmas Eve. And rather than inviting Kevin to stay in her nice, warm Carnegie Hall on Christmas Eve, she tells him to go back out into New York City and like fight people. And she's like, what you must do now is you must think of the most the best good deed you can do. And you must go do it. And it's, it's seriously like 10 o'clock at night on Christmas Eve. And it's like, you fucking pigeon lady haven't spoken to anybody in four years. This is the first kid that's been nice to you forever. You're not going to invite him to stay and like in your nice warm place. This whole part of the movie does not make really make much sense to me. Like he meets the old lady. She really befriends him really quickly. And then like, but then she like saves his life because Kevin, when he's running away from what he did to Harry and Marv at the house, like, like almost killing them, he gets caught by them finally, like almost like, like in the last movie. And and he runs into Central Park. He falls and trips. And Harry and Marv walk him in there. And then, and then she shows up and then throws like a bucket of bird feed on him. And all these birds start this like coming like this. Hundreds of pigeons just start like coming like jumping onto Marvin and Harry. And like basically Kevin gets away. And, and, and then but then like the old lady's like. This waves goodbye to him, like while like Harry and Marv are just getting destroyed by these pigeons. It, it's a really funny scene. Like it, I can't really explain it, but it's Kevin like 
Kevin effectively harnessed the power of the homeless. Yes. And used it to exact, you know, vengeance on Marvin Harry. Um, but, but how fucking gross are pigeons, by the way? Oh, they're gross. I We don't have pigeons in Spokane, but we have a lot of uh, seagulls. And they are gross. Like, you don't want a bunch of birds flying on you. Ugh. No. Wild birds, I mean, some wild birds, like pigeons, are just disgusting. Like, I, I don't know what it is about them. They just look so gross. Mm-hmm. But I feel kind of bad for them. <laughs> so um, the next character I want to make sure we talk about, one of my favorite actors of all time is is in this movie, and is, it's Tim Curry, who plays the hotel concierge guy in charge. And he sort of runs the hotel, and he thinks that Kevin is, is something's fishy about Kevin. Like from the beginning, he recognizes it, and he's watching him, and he has Cedric, played by Rob Snyder, like kind of keep his eyes and ears. And like Tim Curry, in my opinion, is he's the best bad guy in this movie. I just love the faces he makes so clearly. And there's this one moment at the end where like Kevin's mom is kind of calling him out for how he handled the situation with Kevin. She's like, you scared the boy back into the city. And she, and he starts, he like interrupts her when she's talking to her husband and she turns and slaps him with a glove on. And it doesn't look like an especially painful slap, but then the camera stays on Tim Curry's face and you can see that the slap like really hurt his feelings. <laughs> and he, he's like, oh, he like starts sort of like crying a little bit. It's so funny. Like he's just got such great facial expressions. He does. He has the, like, he, ha- he has like a, a rubber face. Like he, he, yeah, he, he can do so many different facial expressions and you see him a lot in this movie. But yeah, he, I, I really enjoyed I really, really enjoyed his character. Um, he has such uh, such iconic performances. I wanted to mention this that he, you know, obviously he was in Rocky Horror as the lead character, and he was he was the butler, which is the most fun. Everybody's favorite character in the movie Clue, which is a great '80s comedy, and he was the the fucking badass demon with those sick horns trying to kill stupid bitch ass Tom Cruise in the movie Legend. Like Tim Curry has the best role in Legend. He was in the Hunt for Red October, and he was the, the voice of the smog in Ferngully, which oh. I don't really like Ferngully that much, but Tim Curry is awesome in Ferngully. Hmm. I did not realize And he went that. on to have, a, he, he would go on to have a, a very good voice acting career in the 90s, aughts, and 10s as his physical acting sort of faded a bit. It's like, I think this is why the movie is taken to a different level. Because like, in the first movie, you get Kevin McAllister and you get Harry and Marv, and that's it. Like, and you get some Catherine O'Hara a little bit more, but in this movie you get Tim Curry. And I, I think he really, I think this adds just a layer to the movie at all. I think this movie works really well with him. Um, I do too. I think Tim Curry keeps this movie afloat. Um, and, and like a lesser casting choice for that hotel concierge guy. I think it would have sunk the middle of this movie. But um, anyway, there was a, there was a fun drop from Tim Curry too. Hold it right there. This is the concierge, sir. I knew it was you. I could smell you getting off the elevator. You was here last night, too, wasn't you? Yes, sir. I was. You was here. And you were smooching with my brother. (laughs) I'm afraid you're mistaken, sir. Don't give me that. You've been spoken with everybody. Uh, that Tim Curry's face <laughs> when he gets accused of like making out with men, like he looks so flustered. 
when he, when they like, go through the list and they say you've been spooked with everyone and there's there's like four other people standing there there's like a woman there's Rob Snyder and like two old men and then it says you and like when he he says Cliff they look at the old man and the old man's like it's not true <laughs> like it was it was pretty funny that was a good uh it's a lie so is is there's there's other people in the cast i don't know if we really need to get into them i mean there's rob schneider who's kind of funny mm. and uh, obviously the parents Catherine o'hara and um what's that guy's name that plays dead something heard john john heard yeah and then the old man that owns the toy store, Mr. Duncan. And I don't know. I don't know that we need to talk about any of these. I, I mentioned the older Pete from Pete and Pete is in it, but yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about any of them? No, I don't. I mean, like, I mean, the, the parents are in it considerably less. I think that had something to do with like contracts. Um, but, uh, but I, the only other person that is in this that I, that is very much of a time capsule is Rob Snyder. Like Rob Snyder has been around forever, obviously in like Adam Sandler movies and stuff like that in his own movies. But like, Rob Snyder in 1992 was probably again like a peak Rob Snyder. Like this is Rob Snyder from SNL. Like he was I forget his character in SNL, but I feel like he that he played like a SNL character in this movie. Um yeah, Rob Schneider is really funny, and he was a really good choice to play the bellhop at just the right age. And uh um, we and uh, Rob Schneider would go on to own the later nineties. And one other thing, one other character that appears in this is Donald Trump. And I don't want to like, but he appeared in it for like, like five seconds to give Kevin directions to where the lobby is in the plaza. And he, he had, he negotiated to be in the movie as you know, Donald Trump would, because he owned the plaza at the time. And the Chris Columbus did not want to put him in. Like he was just like, but it, it screamed. Yeah, right. That it, came out later, I bet you. Oh, it, it said it's, Yeah, Chris Columbus in 2017 released a statement saying, Yeah, I never wanted to put him in the movie. And then, but no, but then it, he said it tested so well. Like people cheered when he came on screen that he kept it in. That's what, that's what I read. So um, well, let's get into the, uh, the production history of this movie. Um, yeah, so I mean, the screenplay is by the great John Hughes, maybe the most prolific comedy writer of the 1980s. Uh, this guy did. The National Lampoon's Vacation Franchise. He wrote 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck, The Beethoven Franchise, The Home Alone Franchise. Like this guy just, this guy, everything he wrote was like family comedy gold. Mm. Like this guy just had the fucking touch of gold to get families in their butts in the movie theaters or in front of the TV watching his shit and laughing and, and rewatching that. Like these movies are all rewatchable. This dude was a fucking genius and unfortunately lost him way too soon as he passed away at only age 59 from a heart attack. And um, it's really too bad because he's like, he's on the Mount Rushmore of like comedy screenwriters of all time. Like mm. this guy is just the best. He, yeah. Um, I did not realize he was so young when he, I mean, I mean, 59's, considerably i mean it's not really old but it, i didn't I, yeah it seems it seems young I, I i didn't realize he was that young uh so i i went to a a film festival a few years ago and anthony michael hall was there and anthony michael hall did like this really cool exclusive interview we'll call it with anybody that wanted to go talk to him so it was like we all met in a classroom it was like me and 20 other people with anthony michael hall 
and he would he was willing to answer questions about everything and he was like my favorite person from the festival because he was such an open book and you could tell like what a real guy he was and he'd said that he'd found god later in life and he had a big ego that he had to get over and and at this point in his life he just didn't care he would tell you anything and somebody asked him about his relationship with john hughes and you know obviously he he was the kid in national lampoon's vacation and he was the funny kid in 16 candles that's trying to get the hot girl but so like him and john hughes had this strong relationship where he would go hang out at his house and he was like one of his sons and he talked about when he died that he felt like like a piece of him had was dead and and more importantly that like a piece of like american comedy had died mm. wow and i thought that was very uh very strong words and again anthony michael hall was like the coolest person i met at this festival because of how real he was mm. and i just thought that was very poignant like john hughes was such a fucking he was just such the fucking shit like he was just the the 80s comedy shit you know what i mean it's, yeah it's just it's sad it is sad um it's sad when you when you have to remember that great men are immortal men so this movie was uh Directed by Chris Columbus, and he did one of my favorites, Adventures in Babysitting, Miss Doubtfire, and the first two Harry Potter movies. He also wrote The Gremlins and The Goonies. Yeah, I mean, Chris Columbus, I, I really don't, like, he just directed this movie, so it's not like he, I mean, that's a, I guess it's a big part, but, like, it's not, when I think of Chris Columbus, I do think of those other movies and not so much Home Alone. But he directed I th- it. I always think of, I always think of Home Alone when I think of Chris Columbus. Oh, really? I mean, it's a... It's a really successful, I mean, the director has to put everything together and has to make everything work in concert. And I, I am like, I always kind of prefer a script to a director, like a screenwriter to a director, just because I'm a writer and so I connect with it. But if you don't have a good director, you have shit. That's true. That's fair. Um, but him as a writer, writing Gremlins and the Goonies, how about that? Like two of like everybody's favorite 80s movies ever. This dude fucking wrote the Goonies. So, so Brennan... This movie starts with Kevin Kevin McAllister missing his plane, getting on a different plane after mixing up a boarding pass. Have you ever missed your airplane before? I've never missed an airplane. I was actually thinking about this the other day, unrelated to this. I've never missed an airplane. I've never been late. Uh, yeah, I'm always well on time for my for my flights. Have you? Well, aren't you just perfect? Yeah, I mean, I've I've bare I've barely made it. A good five times. Like I've I've barely made it within ten minutes at least five times, but I've made it. But I did miss one. I missed one airplane flying out of Portland after Thanksgiving, maybe ten years ago. I I had to get on the public transportation in Portland. It's this thing called the Max. It's like a commuter train. And I I was looking at the distance between the points. I had no idea that the Max went like seriously like twenty five fucking miles an hour through the city like it is so slow and i i missed my plane and i blame portland transportation but it was really my fault because i didn't i didn't map out how i mean it tells you how long it takes but i didn't look at that i just looked at the distance that's some dumb shit we can get into the dumb shit a little bit like i i feel like there's only there we've already gone over a lot of the dumb shit in this movie i feel like yeah a few things i want to talk about like like in the very beginning kevin is like spying on his uncle who's naked in the shower. And we got a clip for that. Get out of here, you nosy little pervert, or I'm going to slap you silly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you're, if you're a dude and you're like 45 years old and you're taking a shower and there's a little boy spying on you, like, I think you got, I think you got to tell the dad. It's like, hey, I, I'm a little worried. 
Like, I think uh, maybe worried's not the right word, but I, I think there's an indicator here. The setup for that scene is Kevin needs to go into the bathroom to grab his tie for the pageant. And so in, and he, but he says like, I can't go in the, in the shower. Uncle blah, blah, blah says, if I go in there, I'll never, something about, something about my man. It was like, the line was like, if you go in there. I'll grow up never knowing what it's like to be a real man. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> and, and I didn't get that as a kid, but then I, but then it was this like an insinuation that his penis is really big, I guess, which is also very creepy. Um, and then, so he goes in there with his eyes closed. He grabs his he grabs his tie, but then he realizes that his uncle's making a real big fool of himself, and he takes a talk boy and records him. So I don't think he's really spying on him. He's just like he's getting content, is what he's doing by but, spying on his naked uncle. Yeah. Um, the, so the, the <laughs> other thing I the other thing I wanted to bring up is that at the end of the movie, the Donald puts the McAllisters up in like a really nice like two story townhouse suite in the Plaza Hotel. And they wake up on Christmas morning in their suite and the living room, which is right outside the parents' bedrooms and above all the kids' bedroom, the living room is literally full of presents. And it, it we find out that it's Mr. Duncan, the toy store, toy story owner, repaying Kevin's good deed. But to accomplish that, Mr. Duncan and his cronies would have had to have snuck into the McAllister's hotel room while all 14 strangers were asleep. And like marched in toy box after toy box after toy box in dark of night. And I was just going to say, like, that's how people get shot, Brennan. I don't think Mr. Duncan's going in and shooting the McAllister family. No, no, no. They're shooting him. They're waking oh. up. Oh, my hotel. They fucking shoot him. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't think the McAllisters were packing, but um, that is, that is the true. 90s and they were white. Of course they were packing. <laughs> I didn't even consider that. Like, there's just some things that, you know, movie magic, Adam, you just got to like take, you know, you just got to be like, you got to accept it because it's a, you're watching a movie, you know, I accept nothing. That's why I, am, <laughs> I am what I am. Have you, So I, I don't want to talk about this a lot, but have you ever seen the sequels Home Alone 3 or Home Alone 4? No. Okay. I watched part of Home Alone 3 once right after it came out and it was such trash. I don't think I made it past 20 minutes. Like it was just, it went for a much younger audience. That's all. I mean, it was like for little kids. And like, he wasn't really home. He was like left home when his mom was at work. It wasn't like even like an extended period of time. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Um, so here's some dumb shit about Home Alone 2. It's two hours long. Are you kidding me? Got to get that. You got to get Macaulay Culkin. You got to get your screen time with Macaulay Culkin. There was there was too much. It was it was too long. That This movie should be 95, 98 minutes, I think. It's that, 20 minutes too long. It is. It is too long. You definitely feel that. I mean, but I will say it is packed with a lot of stuff. I will say they could have took out. They probably could have took out the old lady. Like they put two old people in this movie. They put Mr. Duncan and they put the old lady. And I would have rather them get rid of the old lady. And every moviegoer knows you can only have one old person in a good movie. That's correct. Home Alone did it. it. Home Alone did it right. Fuck the movie Cocoon. Brennan says one old man per movie. Um, there's one thing I wanted to bring up with you that I've I've heard a lot over the last couple of years is that Home Alone is not a Christmas movie. Home Alone 1 or Home Alone 2? Home Alone 1. Like, Oh, I totally disagree. People, Home Alone 1 it has such a Christmas context. Like the, the whole texture of the story is like this kid is home alone on Christmas. There's decorations, there's lights, there's toys. Like he factors the Christmas decorations against the bad guys. It, like that's part of his home field advantage. Like 
I could I could see where Home Alone two isn't really a Christmas movie, but mm. I would I would totally disagree about Home Alone one. Yeah, I I don't get it, but that th- that exists. People will fight like just like how people will fight for uh, Die Hard being a Christmas movie. Like people will fight that Home Alone isn't a Christmas movie. So I think people are just trying to be contrarian, but. Um, I wouldn't understand those people. <laughs> so, so I wanted to quickly compare part Home Alone one and two. To me, what works about Home Alone one is that Kevin was defending his home against strangers. Mm. The attacks on the robbers, the wet bandits—they feel justified. It feels like this little boy is protecting his home, his family's home. That's very, that's very tribal. That's very, that's very even like, you know. Uh, contemporary american like i'm gonna defend what's mine but in part two he's in some vacant house that's not his with no home field advantage it didn't it didn't feel like him attacking them was all that justified they weren't trying to rob him he was just fucking maiming these bad guys like it was just like an excuse to have him beat the fuck out of these bad guys again Mm. what if what if the whole revenge scenario was exacted on the wet bandits in the toy store. What if Kevin was the one who stayed in the little dollhouse and got a home field advantage in the toy store and waited for them to break into the toy store and aim for the register? Then he could use all the fun little toys as it as weapons. I like that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's like, why are you bringing in the uncle's vacant fucking remodeling house that looks like nobody's lived there in three years? Like, wh- what sense does that make at all? Mm. That yeah, that makes that may, that would make more sense, and it would make for a more fun movie too, because you could do a lot of fun things with toys. So that's um, how I cut out twenty minutes. I cut out the whole uncle's house. Mm. Keep it at the toy store. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, I read a fact about this: is that during the filming of Home Alone two, John Hughes wrote a draft for Home Alone three with a teenager, uh, Kevin, and then Macaulay Culkin quit acting, and so. They never made that that third movie. I would love to read that. Like, what is a third? What is a third Home Alone with uh, Kevin McAllister and uh, and Marvin Harry? So yeah, that would be good. If you guys like the show today, you can help us out by giving us those awesome five star reviews on Apple iTunes Music. You can email the show. Please do send us your requests, send us your compliments, send us your criticisms. Super Nineties Brothers at gmail.com, at Super Nineties Brothers at Spocast Pods with a K adampitzler.com check us out give the love share the shit show your friends you know all you got all it takes is for you to share one episode of super 90s brothers with one friend and one of us can eat one of us yeah brennan um my son link we need to feed link um this this week know who link is my son my son he needs to have he needs to eat so do you have anything else you want to talk about Home Alone 2 here this 10 days before Christmas 2021? I mean, now it's like three days before Christmas. So if you want to watch these movies, go on uh, Disney Plus, watch them. We're not sponsored by them. I don't know why I'm shouting them out, but that's where you can watch Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Home Alone 3, Home Alone 4. And the latest iteration, Home Sweet Home Alone, um, which I heard is awful, and I'm not going to watch that. But um, yeah, that's where you can get all your... Do you have a go-to Christmas movie? You're going to watch a Christmas movie before Christmas. Well, Jill always makes me watch a Muppet Christmas Carol, Dumb. but my favorite, if the one that I pretty much have to watch every every year is uh The Griswolds, Christmas Family like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That's the one that I think is the best. Okay. I like that. 
I don't have a Christmas movie, so maybe I I saw that that was available. Maybe I'll watch that. I don't. Yeah, I've never really had one. I Home Alone has been the closest, but I, I just don't really get into that the to the to the tradition of it. So, got it. Well, but it, um, we hope you guys get in the tradition of Super Nineties Brothers. For Brennan Pointer, I am Adam J. Pitzler. This has been another brick throwing episode of Super Nineties Bros. Home Alone Two style. And remember, if you get separated from your family on Christmas, make sure you grab your dad's big fat wallet. Peace. Get out of here, you nosy little pervert, or I'm going to slap you silly.